Good morning. Thankful that you are able to come study with, with us this morning on, on uh, Choose Life. That's what we've decided to talk about this morning. A couple of months ago, uh, I believe it was Adam did a, uh, a lesson, a book study on the book of Deuteronomy. And one of the verses that really stuck with me were, was Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, where Moses says, I call to heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. The thing about our lives is, is we have choices every day. We have small choices, choices like what we're gonna eat for lunch or, or where we're gonna go for lunch, which always turns into kind of a big choice for us. Uh, at my house, we end up just asking the girls and they say, hey, let's go to McDonald's, and we say no. But we also have big choices at times too, like we, we need to build or buy a bigger house. We're just running out of room, so we make that choice. But the fact is, is every single day we make spiritual choices. We make spiritual choices that are going to, to possibly alter our spiritual walk with God. And we have to be careful that we're making the right choice. But the one thing about God and the one thing that God has allowed us in our lives and our walk with him is, is a free will. And that's the choice to make the right or wrong decision. The, the decisions we make are so important, especially when it, when it comes to us and our service to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse, verse 21, he says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. We are told to do this, but in, in the end run, we have a choice. We have a choice whether we're going to hold fast to all, the, all those things which are good and abstain from evil, or we have a choice to take part in those evil things. And that's part of our free will, that we make those decisions. We make the decision to choose right or wrong. Again, in Philippians chapter two and verse 12, he says, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The fact is, is we are told to work out our salvation, but what we have to understand is it's our choice whether we're going to work out our salvation or not. It's our free will, it's our choice. God has given us that opportunity to make that choice, and we have to make the right choice. You know, as we look back at Deuteronomy 30 this morning, Moses is essentially telling the children of Israel to make the right choice, to choose life. So let's look at that just for a little bit this morning. See, Moses is giving his final admonition at this time. We think about Moses and we think about his life and we think about what has happened since he has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what we see is that they have been wandering for 40 years and they've been wandering because of choices that they made. Spies were sent in to this land that God had promised them. And that's what we have to understand. God had promised them if they would just follow through. God had promised them this land, but they sent spies in. And out of all the spies, only two of those spies said, yes, we can take that. The others were saying, well, they're giants. We can't do this. We can't take that land. But Joshua and Caleb made the decision, we can, with God's help, we can make that, we can make that choice. And we can do this. We can do what God has asked us to do. And in Deuteronomy 1 and 35, we see the result of their lack of faith. Deuteronomy 1, 35, it says, Surely there shall not one of these men of the evil generation see that good land, which I swear to give unto your fathers. 
See, that land that was promised to them, they would never see because of their choice to have a lack of faith in God, to not trust in God. And that's exactly what happened. That generation chose a lack of faith. And the consequence of that was that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And what we're seeing as we're moving on to Deuteronomy chapter 30, that generation is gone. That generation is in the past and this new generation is about to enter into this land. But one thing we also notice is that Moses will not enter into that land either because of choices that he made. Deuteronomy 32 and 51, he says, But ye trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go thither unto the land which I give the children of Israel. So what we see is Moses gets to see the land, but he doesn't get to enter into that land. You see, what we understand here is that choices were made and consequences were given. Choices were made by the children of Israel and those consequences would be that they would not enter into that land. So now Moses is in his final days and he's about to hand over the children of Israel to Joshua. Joshua is gonna be their new leader and that leadership is coming to him. And I have to wonder and I have to think about what Moses what might have been going through his mind at that time. He's about to hand this over. He's about to die. He's, he's in his final days. And you wonder, is he thinking about his time and growing up in Egypt and how he left that, how he was brought back and how he delivered through God the children of Israel out of Egypt, how they came to that water and that water was split and they walked through to safety. At that point, he had lived with the consequences of the choices that were made. And he understands that the children of Israel are going to move forward with new leadership without him. And I believe this is his last sermon to kind of encourage them to make the right choice, to do what's right. But he also knows that they're not going to do the right thing. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 27 when he says, For I know thy rebellion in thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. And how much more after my death? Skipping down to verse 29, he says, For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. I'm sure this is heartbreaking to Moses to understand what's probably going to happen. And I think at Deuteronomy 30 is him pleading with him to make that right choice. And that's what we see. That's why he says in verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 30, see, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. He's pleading with him, make that right choice. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning as we move on. We're gonna move on and, and look at that choice that they had to make and understand that we make that choice also. We make the choice of life and good or death and evil every single day of our lives. And hopefully we will listen to that and we will understand that we need to choose life. So let's look at this idea of life and good. And I wanna go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and I wanna see what Moses says to the children of Israel about living, uh, uh, making that choice of life and good. In verse 16, he says, And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, 
to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So what Moses is essentially saying here is that the three things that they need to do that will encompass their, their love for God would be, first of all, to love him, to keep his commandments, and to walk in his ways. So what do those three things mean? That, that's what I want to look at for just a little bit this morning as we move on. And we want to start with the idea of loving the Lord thy God. You see, Moses tells the children of Israel to choose life. He wants them to choose life. And he says, one thing that you have to do to make that choice is to love the Lord thy God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to love God? What is he telling the children of Israel at this time? Essentially, I, Moses tells us earlier in Deuteronomy that a love for God is a threefold love. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. What Moses is telling them is that their love for God needs to be an undivided love. A love that's all in, where they give everything to God. The decisions they make, the way they live their life, the way they worship, they're giving it all to God. And their love is not divided by anything else. Their love is not divided by a false God. Their love is not divided with their own selves. And that's what Moses is telling them. A couple of weeks ago, Trevor talked, uh, uh, he had a great lesson about priorities. And that's essentially what Moses is saying. God has to be your first priority. God has to be your reason. And you have to give all your love to God. And nothing else can divide that love. And that's what part of choosing life is. And that's a step, to, step toward choosing that choice of life and good to make God number one. And Jesus says the same thing. If you look in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 30, or 22 and verse 37, it says, Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So standing here today, when we think about our love for God, we have to understand that our love should be an undivided love. A love that's not, not have that's not taken part of but from ourselves, a love that is, not, that is not halfway God, halfway us, halfway God, halfway our entertainment. It's all in on God. It's a true love. It's everything. And making sure that love is not divided. But too many times when I should be out serving God, instead I'm serving myself. I'm trying to find entertainment for myself. I'm worried about my job and I put God on the back burner. And you see too many times my love is divided and we, can, we have to make sure that our love is not divided with anything. That God is, is number one, that God is our first priority. And the decisions that we make are based on the fact that we love God, not that we love ourselves or that we love our job or that we love our entertainment. It's all about loving God. And I don't think we can talk about Matthew 22, 37 and 38 without going on to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 39, where Jesus says, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I think if you want to give yourself a good test on your love to God, question how you treat your neighbor. How often are we out spreading the gospel? How often are we out serving those in need? How often are we out letting people know about the love that God has for them? Because if we look in Matthew 25, we understand. Matthew 25 talks about, uh, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And if we go down to verse 40, we understand that that service, when we serve others, we're truly serving God. It says, and the king shall answer and say unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That's how we truly test our love for God. Do we have a divided love? Do we love ourselves more than we love God? That's a good test. And I think when we do that, when we put God in front of our own needs and our own wants, and we put others in front of our own wants and desires, we start to understand that it keeps us from letting our selfishness take over. We understand that it's not about us, that when we become a Christian, it's not about what we want or what we desire. It's what God wants. It's what God desires. It's what God would have us to do. But too many times, I think we let God replace, we let other things replace God as our first love. And that makes me think of Revelation chapter two, the church at Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, if you read the first three verses of of Revelation chapter two, they did some great things and they're commended for those things. And and, And he mentions those things. But what he says in verse four really cuts to the heart when he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You see, they had left their first love, which was Christ, which was God. Their love became divided. They had, they had let other things take importance over what God had, had commanded them to do, what God had asked them to do. They had left their first love. Christ was not the forefront anymore as he once had been. They strayed away from God. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Where does Christ in the church fit in our lives today? Is it up here at the top of our priority list or is it somewhere below our entertainment our jobs, even our family. He expects that to be there. Our love should be number one for him. And that's what we have to question in ourselves and in our lives. See, Matthew chapter 10, 38, it says, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. See, our life should be about bearing the cross of Christ. Once we obey him in baptism and we become a child of God, it's not about us anymore. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we desire. It's not about what we think. It's about what God wants for our lives because he's number one. And that should change who we are and that should change how we live. You see, our life should be about finding purpose and reason through Christ and letting go of what we think and feel. And hopefully we can do that as a Christian. Psalms 119 and two, it says, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with 
the whole heart. If we wanna please God, we need to seek him with our whole heart. He needs to be number one in our lives. We have, to, we have to love the Lord our God with everything we have. The second thing Moses talks about is, or another thing he talks about is keeping his commandments. You know, Moses tells them that they must obey the commandments that were given to them, the, the commandments, the statutes, the judgments. And he, he, he goes on and he, said, he tells them that, that this is what they have to do. This is, this is how they choose life. It's part of, of that, making that choice to choose life. You know, he's, Moses is saying that the direction should be the law that was given to them. God's word should direct their lives. They should, before making a decision, they should consider God's word. That's what should lead them. You see, they, these were the directions given to the children of Israel and how they should live all the way down to how they should worship. You know, Exodus 19 and five, it says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, co- my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. How would they, how would they be tre- his treasured people? By keeping his commandments, by doing what he had asked them to do. And we look at their history and we look at the word of God and we understand that over and over they made the choice not to do that. They made the opposite choice of what they should have done. And we know that they had consequences because of that. Deuteronomy 13 and four, it says, "Ye, ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. It's all about serving God and doing what he has asked us to, having enough faith in him. And that's what, that's what Moses is telling the children of Israel, that they need to have faith in God. To, and I, I wonder if they think about when the, the many wonders that, that their people had seen when they make the choice not to do that. But you know, over and over, we can read in the word of God about the wonderful works of God and the miracles that were performed by Jesus Christ and the apostles and others. And yet we still make the choice not to obey his commands at times. We have the same admonition today. The message is no different for us that to choose life as a Christian, we need to obey his commands. We need to do what he has said for us to do. You know, another way for us to show love to God, like we just talked about, is to keep his commandments. John 14 and 23, it says, if a man love me, he will keep my words. If we love God, we're gonna do what he has asked us to do. We're gonna do what, he, we're gonna search out his word. We're gonna see what his word would have us, how it would have us to live, what it would have us to do. And we're gonna do those things. And we're gonna try our best to keep his commandments. See, obeying God's word is more than just hearing the word of God or, or speaking about it and talking about it. It's actually about taking action. If you look at James 1 and 22, it says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It says, don't just hear the word. Don't just listen to it. Don't just talk about it. Put it into action. Because when we put God's word into action, it changes who we are. It changes how we act. It changes how we live. But we have to keep his commandments. And John, in verse John 2 and verse 3, it says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Think about that statement for just a second. We can say we're a Christian all day long. 
We can proclaim our Christianity around. But the fact is, is if we're not willing to keep his commandments, it says we are lying. We must strive to do what his word has asked us to do. We must strive to do that because he knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. He loves us. And we need to strive to keep his commandments. You know, I think about the first step to obedience in a Christian's life, and that's to obey the gospel. Romans six seventeen it says, but God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. See, we think about what we have to do to become a Christian. What he says is obey that form of doctrine. And when he talks about obeying that form of doctrine, that's hearing the word. That's turning our life around and repenting of our sins. That's confessing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that's being baptized with him for remission of our sins. That's the form of doctrine that he's considering there in Romans chapter six. And yet too many times we wanna do what we think. We wanna do what we feel. We wanna do what we want to do instead of just turning to God's word. But I'm here to tell you, if we're not willing to submit to God's word, we have no hope. We have no hope. We need to submit to God's word and obey it and put it into action. And then once we become a Christian and once we obey that command, we become a child of God, we need to continue in his word. Titus 2 verse 11, it says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know how we can live soberly, righteously, and godly? Is by looking to his word and doing what he's asked us to do. Again, it's not about what we want. It's not about what we desire. It's not not about what we feel. We need to get into his word with an open heart and truly see what he would have us to do in our lives, the decisions that he would have us to make and trust and have faith that his word is what we need. The third thing that Moses talks about is walking in his ways. And we, we think about walking in his ways. Colossians chapter two, verse six, it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I wanna keep this idea in mind. It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Keep that in mind as we move on. Now, when looking, in, looking at walking in his ways, that sounds an awful lot like keeping his commandments. And while those go hand in hand, I believe they have different meanings. I believe they mean different things. For example, we can obey what God has asked us to do. We can look to his word and we can follow his commands, do the things that we should do, don't do the things that we shouldn't and still not be pleasing to God. Because what it comes down to when we walk in his ways, we do what God has asked us to do out of the right heart, out of a pure heart, out of a proper motivation. And I believe Jesus really hits hits this idea home in Mark chapter six. In verse one, Jesus says, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, 
that they may have glory of men. Verily, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse five, he says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt, be, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites, for they love and pray, standing in the synagogues as in the corners of, of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse seven, it says, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Down in verse 16, he says, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What we see here is Jesus is talking about men doing things that are pleasing to God. Men doing things that, at, at, at some of them that are even commanded of God. And yet if they're not doing it out of the right heart, if they're not doing it from the proper motivation, Jesus says they already have their reward. They got what they wanted. And that reward is not a heavenly reward. You see, these people he's talking about perform these things to be seen of men. Their motivation was all wrong. And we need to be careful with our motivation when we're living our lives. Are we serving God to be seen of men? Are we serving God because we love him? What is our motivation in doing God's word and living for him? I think Matthew chapter six, when we, if we go back and look at that chapter, there's one thing I wanna notice there that can really help us with our motivation and that's what Jesus refers to God as. Jesus refers to God as your father which is in heaven. And what a blessing that is that he's not just some God that we don't have a relationship. He is considered our father. And I know we as a society, we've kind of messed up what a father truly is because we're imperfect. But God is the perfect father and he's the perfect fatherly relationship that we should base our example to be when we become fathers because he loves us with an unending love and he gives us chance after chance to make the right decisions. He has mercy on us. He's a loving God, a God that could destroy us all, but yet has mercy to give us another shot. That's what a father is. A father is unending love. And we know that God is that because 1 John 4 and 8 says, for God is love. That's what God is. God is love. And the fact is, is we can have a father-son or father-daughter relationship with him because he does love us, because he, he has done so much to help us. And that should be our motivation to serve him. That should be our motivation to make the decisions we do. First John 4 and verse 19, it says we love him because he first loved us. That's our motivation. That's why we love God. That's why we keep his commandments. That's why our love should not be divided because, because man or entertainment or any of those other things did not love us. God loved us. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross. And his son loved us so much that he willingly went through with that. Galatians chapter two and verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you question why you do what you do, think back to the cross. Think back to the blood that was shed. And understand that's our motivation. That's why we do what we do.
That's why we spread the gospel. That's why we study his word. That's why we pray to him. That's why we serve those in need and we could go on. But that's why we do what we do because we have a father who loves us and shows his mercy and shows his love for us. You know, I think about approval and we should want the approval of our father in heaven. Hebrews chapter 11, if you go read that chapter, sometimes we call it the heroes of faith, but it's just men who had great faith that served God And when we think about how they served God, they served God out of a proper motivation. Hebrews chapter 11 and one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. I use the ESV because I like the wording in that. These people that they're gonna talk about in Hebrews chapter 11, they had approval of God, why? Not because they were great people, but because they had faith in God enough to do what he had asked them to do, to live their life for him. And we have to question ourselves, do we have that kind of faith this morning? Do we have a faith that puts the focus on God every day of our lives? So when we think about making the choice of life and good, we understand that it's about loving God, it's about keeping his commandments and about having the proper motive in why we do that. But you know, Moses also gave them another choice and that was death and evil. Verse 15, again, he says, see, I've set before you this day life and good and death and evil. See, the children of Israel, they had to make this choice. Again, Moses knew what this choice they were gonna make. He, he probably understood that. We get that indication in Deuteronomy chapter 31, but I feel he's pleading with them, make the right choice, make over and over. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see that. And we know looking back at history that the children of Israel made bad choices over and over and they reaped the consequences of those things. In Hebrews chapter three, beginning of verse eight, he says, harden not your hearts. This is speaking of what we've talked about this morning as in the provocation in the day of the temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved that that generation and said, they always do err in their heart and they have not known my way. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. And we know that first generation didn't, and we know there were many other consequences for the children of Israel as they turned their back on God. And Moses gives them a harsh warning in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 17, when he says, but if thy heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall... uh, ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. He says, if you turn your back on God, you will not be successful. The things that, that you need to do will not happen. The things that, that will be good for you will not happen. He says, you're going to perish. And I think we have that same warning. Paul gives us that warning. Hebrews chapter three and verse 12, he says, take heed, brethren, lest ye lest there be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He says, take heed, be careful because that's not the path you wanna choose. Just like Moses told them, Paul is telling us. And we have to be be sure that we don't take that path because ours 
would be a, spirit, a spiritual separation from God. If we turn to sin, if we turn to a life of sin and we turn our back from, off from God and we walk away, we are separated from him. Isaiah 59 and one, it says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins, and his, and your sins have hid his face from you and he will not hear. We don't want that separation. But if we choose the opposite path, if we make the wrong spiritual choices and we walk away from God and we separate ourselves from God, he's gonna separate himself from us. And even if we were once saved, Hebrews 10, 26 says, for if we, were, if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for our sins. That's harsh. And that's something we need to take into account every time we have a choice to make spiritually that we choose life and good and not death and evil. Because when we get to that point, we have no hope. So this morning, I want you to think about a verse in Joshua 24 that pretty much mirrors what was said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Joshua says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which were your fathers which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua made a choice. Joshua made the choice to choose life for him and his family. But you see, everyone else had their choice too. And I ask you this morning, choose life. Choose life. Life and good. If you've never obeyed the gospel, make the decision to obey that, just like we talked about earlier today. Make that decision to choose life by obeying the gospel. Isaiah 1 and 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Make the choice today. Don't put it off. Obey that gospel. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe you've turned your back on God. Maybe you've walked away and you've been separated from God. Get back on that right path. Find a brother, sister in Christ that can pray for you, that can pray with you. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Get back on that right path. You know, Deuteronomy, I wanna leave you with this this morning. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Once again, I call the heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Choose life this morning. Thank you.